0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. As we begin our study this morning, some of you may be very grateful. Uh, I'm grateful as well. But uh, we come to the final study of the book of Second Peter. The final thoughts of Peter concerning this epistle. And uh, the goals that he set forward in writing these words to those people of that day and by extension us today. <clears throat> so we'll see his final thoughts uh, as he was writing to this group of people at this place at that time. Uh, he was actually writing to all Christians, but he was specifically writing to this, this group of Christians. And he tried to, his, his main goal, his main effort was to stir people up by reminding them. And that's not a foreign concept. We do that all the time. We remind each other of things. And that was his primary goal and, and and this book was to stir people up, to cause them to think, to cause them to be reminded of things that they already knew, but to regenerate their effort and to, and to get them stirred up and fired up. And, and we know how that is. We become apathetic in life, and, and we let the world get us down. And from time to time, we need to be regenerated. We need to be revived, and we need to be excited again. <clears throat> So this was, this was the primary effort of this book. And the interesting thing is he, he, he continually reiterates this thought. Uh, in the first chapter of the, second, of the book of 2 Peter in the 13th verse, he said, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. That's meaning in this body, in this life. He's, he's currently alive. He says, I think it meet to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He says it again in the 15th verse. Of, of the first chapter. Moreover I will endeavor that you may be able. After my decease. To have these things always in your remembrance. Now something dear to Peter at this time. Was he knew that he was not long for this world. He knew his life was about to come to an end. And, and we'll see that and talk about that a little bit more later on. But it's not something that is foreign to many of us. And so it was really important to him at this time that people be stirred up to remembrance. He wanted them to remember even after he was gone. He wanted the words that he said to come back to them to remind them of things that they already knew and things they needed to know and things that they needed to be reminded of. But now here in this third chapter of the book of Second Peter, in the very first verse, in verse 1, he says it again. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir you up, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. <clears throat> now, just for a moment, there's a, there's a word here in this scripture that I want I want us to consider, and that is this word both. Now, if you are currently looking at a King James Version, you'll notice that that word is in italics, meaning that it wasn't in the original text, but the translators added it in an effort to make the, the meaning more clear. And I, I don't take a great exception to it, but I don't, think, I don't think it works at this time. And I'll tell you why. Let's read the original text. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you and I stir you up, in which I stir you up, your pure minds, by way of remembrance. That was the intent of the original text. Now, that's not to, that's not to take away from the book of 1 Peter. It had its own goals and its own desires. And the primary focus of 1 Peter was <clears throat> that uh, Peter wanted to stir people up to endure, to overcome He said there's obstacles that are going to get in your way. There's things that are going to deter you from the Christian life. I want you to overcome those things. I want you to endure all of your lives. That was the primary goal of 1 Peter. He said so in the first first book there in the second chapter and 20th verse. For what glory is it, he says, if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. So if you're at fault and you're corrected or you're disciplined, or you're brought to bear over those faults, and you say, well, okay, I was at fault, so I'll bear this discipline patiently. He said, that's, that's not of any value. You're, you, you were at fault. You're being corrected. You should be corrected. You should recognize that you're at fault. If you bear that patiently, there's no benefit. But he goes on to say, but... If, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. This brings glory to God. So he's telling these people, endure things that are going to come your way that you don't, you're not responsible for. They're not your fault. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're still going to be persecuted for it. If you bear that patiently, that's acceptable to God. That brings glory to God. So the the book of 1 Peter was primarily to to bring those people to endurance. Now in the second book, in the second book, he's stirring us up. He's reminding us. Now they both have their value. I don't don't want you to think I I don't think 1 Peter has value. It absolutely does. But I don't think both of these books were caused to be reminded. He's doing the reminding here in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, he provides some tools from God, some blessings from God, some abilities, some characteristics from God that we need to take on that will help us endure. It's some things that, that are already known. These people knew it. We know it today. Some things that, that help us persevere. He also provides a few notice, notable problems, errors, that these tools are going to be needed for And we're going to review that a little bit. It's a review of what we've already studied in 1 Peter. But I think it's needful that we go over those things again just for a moment. And we'll try to do it very quickly. I don't want to take a lot of time doing it. But but some things that were perseverance and tools that help us persevere are greatly needed. uh, So we don't become bored. So we don't become apathetic as we wait on the Lord's return. Peter has encouraged those that he referred to as those who have obtained like precious faith. We would include ourselves in that today, in that group. But he's specifically speaking to these people. And a couple of things he tells them. He says he urges them to be diligent, to be diligent in spiritual growth. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, we've already studied uh, to excess, but he says, besides this, giving all diligence. And then he goes on to list these characteristics that he wants us to take on. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. What happens when you do that? He says in verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that the people we want to be? We want to be fruitful. We want to abound. We We want to enjoy this Christian life that God has given us the opportunity. We want to grow in knowledge, don't we? What happens if you don't? Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. The apathy sets in. The neglect becomes a problem. And we go back to the way we used to be. That's not what we want. And Peter's reminding him. And he says, this is a list of tools that you can use that helps you overcome this. He goes on. And he urges them... To, be, to follow a more sure word of prophecy. In, in verse 19 of, of 2 Peter 1, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. Listen to the sure word of prophecy. Take heed to it. Follow it. Study it. Learn from it. And if you do, then you do well. That's what the scripture says. You do well if you take heed to those things. You're doing what God expects you to do. Now, in review, some of the problems that Peter talks about, uh, he says to beware of false teachers. And if you want to go back and review that, you have to study the whole second chapter of 2 Peter. He deals with that exclusively through that whole chapter. And he urges them to beware. But you know what? If you're growing in all those things we just saw a minute ago, false teachers are not going to be a problem, are they? If you're growing in knowledge and you're growing in grace and you see somebody that's not teaching the Word of God, they're teaching something else, they're bringing something else, you recognize it immediately. It's not a problem. Put those things away from you. He also says, He urges them to expect scoffers. In chapter 3, verse 3, that we studied just a a few times back, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. It's not that he warns them that scoffers will come. He says, expect it. Expect it. Know that they're coming. If you know something's coming, it doesn't have a big impact on you. If you know that something troubling is about to come, it's, it's like, like the old saying that I've said before. Those who would cause trouble are not much trouble for those who expect it. They're already prepared for it. And that's what Peter wanted them to be. He wanted them to be prepared for it. He also encouraged them to... <clears throat> lived their lives in such a way as they were looking forward to the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? That's the Lord's return. That's when the Lord's coming back to pronounce judgment on every one of us. That's the day. That's the day we should be looking forward to. Verse 12. Looking forward and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on fire and shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt. With fervent heat, the end of time, the end of this world, the Lord returns and he pronounces judgment on all those who live on the earth. So Peter begins now to draw this epistle to the close. And uh, he has an attitude that I think we miss a lot of times today. A desire. Throughout the book, he is constantly referred to the people that he's writing to as beloved. In verse 1, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir you up, your pure minds, by way of remembrance. Also in verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And now as we begin our text, the verses we want to study this morning in verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Over and over and over again, he refers to them as beloved. Because they were important to him. Their spiritual well-being was of primary importance to him. He wanted them to be found at peace with God long after he was gone. He wanted their children to be found that way. He wanted their grandchildren, great-grandchildren to be found that way because he loved them. I'm going to ask you a question. This this congregation, I feel like, is is, uh, very loving toward each other. and, And I appreciate that very much. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of God's people outside this congregation that need love as well. They need to know that this congregation is here. They need to know that this congregation loves them. You know what? You need to know that they love you. And that's the extension that, Paul, that Peter's trying to make here. All of God's people, he loved them all. And we should love them all as well today. <clears throat> In uh, 2 Peter 1, 14, I told you we'd get back to this. <clears throat> Peter said, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Peter knew that he was not long for this world. And history will bear out that, you know, as as much stock as you can put in history, that it wasn't too long after this epistle was written that Peter was crucified in an upside down position and he was taken from this life. You know even in our day and age the thoughts of a person that knows that their life is coming to an end holds a lot of significance for us and it's interesting and it really doesn't matter what type of person they were. Now certainly you'll find that a a person who's coming to the end of their life, as far as a spirit, if they're a very spiritual, very strong Christian, you know where their thoughts are going to lie. And if the thoughts, the last thoughts, some of the last thoughts that they have are co- coherent thoughts, then you'll find that they'll be concerned for people that they are leaving behind. They want them to remain in the Lord. They want them to be strong in the Lord. They want their ancestors and their descendants to be strong in the Lord. And they want to encourage them to do that. But it's interesting in that you can even take a person that's really been evil in their life. And when they're coming to the end of their life, their final thoughts may hold significance. What is that? Maybe maybe they're repentant of some of the things they've done. Maybe they're repentant of some of the things they haven't done. And you know that whole significance because that may have an impact on some people. So we understand that Peter is speaking some of the final words of his life. So what were they? And what significance did they hold? I think it's pretty easy to see. He says he wants them to be diligent. And you know, it's it's an interesting phrase because like beloved, that's not the first time he's mentioned it. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 and also in verse 10, diligence is found. Peter exhorts these people over and over again to be diligent. Now, in this case, the word diligence there. Means uh, earnest earnestness, a zeal, sometimes with haste. Now you think about that in terms, in the context of diligence. What did Peter want for these people? He wanted them to be earnest. He wanted them to be zealous in their diligence. He wanted it to be active. Not only that, he wanted it to be now. Here, don't, i What's the number one term we'll hear? I'll do it later. Later in life, I'll get around to that. That's not what Peter wanted. He wanted you to do it now. That's the diligence he wanted, wanted these people to have. And now in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. What's things? We'll get to that in a little bit. He wanted them to be diligent. Now in this time, it's applying to being prepared for the Lord's coming. Being prepared for what's in the future. And what does he want? He wants you to be zealous. He wants you to be earnest. And he wants it now. Don't put it off. Do it now. So, in light of this desire that Peter had for the people that he was writing to at this time, and by extension us today, I want to ask you a question. How will the Lord find you today, right now? How would he find you? Will he find you neglectful? Apathetic? Not worrying about it? Or will he find you diligent? And searching for truth. Searching for knowledge. Searching for his will. Willing to apply in obedience that will when you find it. How will Jesus find you? Peter desires you to be diligent, to be found in peace. And what does that mean? Well, there's really, when you think about mankind, there's really two kinds of peace that we need to worry about. One is we need to be at peace with God. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you want to be at peace with God? I've never known a Christian that didn't want that. We may not talk about it a lot. But God said we can be at peace with him. But we have to do his will. We have to be obedient to him. And if we do those things that he's told us to do, then we can be at peace with God and we can know that. And what a blessing that is to know that. The second side of peace is our relationship with our fellow man. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11 let him eschew evil. What does that mean? Eschew means avoid. That's simply what it means. And do good. Let him seek peace and ensue. What's ensue? It means pursue. So the scripture says, really says, let him avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That's what the scripture says. And if you do that, you'll be at peace with your fellow man. Now Listen. Here's something we don't talk about very often. Focusing on our peace with God, being at peace with God, focusing on doing what God expects us to do and would have us to do and desires for us to do will help your peace with your fellow man. Well, Where is that scripture at? Well, Let's look at Proverbs 16 and 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, you let that soak in for a minute. You got enemies? Maybe look in the mirror. Maybe look in the mirror and see how you're living your own life. Maybe see how you're treating your neighbor. Maybe I'll provide you some answers. You think the world couldn't use this thought today? If a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. How far could that take this world today if we followed that instruction? How will you be found? Will you be found at peace with God and with your fellow man? He says he wants us to be diligent to be found at peace without spot and blameless. We're sinful people, aren't we? I am. I don't even know how to do that. That, That's what you might say. To be found without spot and blameless when we know we're sinful people, how do you even do that? It's not as difficult as we might think it is because it's not up to us. It's only through the sacrificial love of Jesus that we can be without spot and blameless. We can't do it. But he can. Jesus can. He can make us be without spot and blameless. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, For as much as you know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers. Now listen to what he says. You can't buy it. You can't buy it. You can't talk your way into it. It's just vain conversation. You can't receive it from your family, from your fathers. You can't get it that way. How can you get it? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, listen, without spot, blemish, and spot. Jesus had it. He was without blemish and spot. And he offers it to us through dying for us upon the cross. Peter says we ought to be diligent to look for such things. I told you we'd get back to the such things. What is that? Verse 13, if we back up to verse 13, Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's the such things that we look for. We look for the Lord's coming, for a new heaven and a new earth, in which dwells only righteousness, nothing else. To be counted as righteous by Jesus and gaining an eternal home in heaven, you know, that's a lofty goal. Brother Gary prayed in his prayer this morning for us to have goals. A goal of attaining heaven. That's a lofty goal. But you know what? It's not just going to happen. No matter what most of the religious world would have you to believe today, it's not going to just happen. It's going to take effort. Anyone can attain it. It's, it's there for anyone to seize and take hold of. But it's not going to just happen. It requires effort. So I ask you, are you looking forward to those things that Peter speaks of? Those things that, that are to come. The coming of the day of the Lord. Are you making preparation for it? Is it a goal of yours? You know, today, just yesterday, we had some... Some kids and some coaches involved in playoff volleyball. They had a goal to win that game, whatever game it may be. They wanted to win that game. They looked forward to that game and the hope of winning that game. Did they just sit around on the couch and eat potato chips and drink soda pop and, well, it's going to happen. They prepared for it, didn't they? They spent time in a gym. They spent time going over and over and over things. What do we do when this happens? What do we do when this happens? And they prepared for it. And they were diligent in preparing for it. Both teams won those games. We know they were diligent in preparing for it. Are you diligent in preparing for the Lord's coming? Are you diligent in preparing for a new heaven and a new earth? Or do you think it's just going to happen? Only when we look forward to something can we diligently prepare for it. <clears throat> Verse 14 Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, the coming of the Lord, the new heaven, the new earth, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot. And blameless <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says wherefore gird up your loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ that's the attitude you know what we'd say today pull up your big britches tighten your belt and go to work be sober Be serious about it. Don't be neglectful. Don't be apathetic about it. That's the only way you're going to attain it. So I ask you again, are you looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth? Are you looking forward to the coming of the Lord? Are you preparing for it today? Are you diligent in doing that? Let me tell you something. If you're allowing the world to have an impact and distract you from the goal that you really need to have. If you're letting the Lord's delay in his coming distract you from from that life, from doing those things that are necessary, from making those preparations, verse 15 of 2 Peter 3 speaks directly to you. Remember the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Now, you may remember long-suffering. We've went over that in Peter. We'll look at that again in just a moment. But that may ring a bell to you. Because, you see, the world has decided many times that the Lord's delay in His coming... Is slackness. The Lord don't care anymore. He's not concerned about it anymore. He's not worried about it anymore. He's just become slack. And that's not the case. Second Peter 3, verse 8. Excuse me, let's read this verse. Uh, chapter 3, or yeah, chapter 3, verse 15. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. <clears throat> Account. What does that mean? Consider. Understand. Understand that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is what the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. We've talked about that in a previous study. What does that mean? It means time is irrelevant to the Lord. Time has no meaning to the Lord. He's not concerned about time. Time means a lot to us, but God is not concerned about time. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So his long suffering is because he's not willing, he's not desirous of anybody to perish, but that all come to repentance. That's what he desires. Has it all come to repentance? Now remember those two scriptures as we go back to verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. It's not like salvation. It's not the end of salvation. It's not the beginning of salvation. It is salvation. That's what the long-suffering of the Lord. So what we accuse the Lord of being slack in by being long-suffering is actually not slackness. It's salvation. Every second of God's long-suffering ought to be considered an opportunity to repent. Every second. Every day, every year, every century that our Lord delays his return should be thought of as a day of salvation. So, exactly what did Paul say? Well, Paul said a lot of things about salvation one thing in particular in 2 Corinthians 6 verses 1 and 2. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Listen. For he saith I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. That's what Paul said. You know when he said it? You know when he wrote it? He wrote it somewhere around AD 55 to 57. Here we are in in 2023, at the end of 2023, so 20 we lack we lack 26, 26, 27 years, being 2,000 years removed from Paul writing these words. What is today? It's the day of salvation. It's the same day of salvation it was 2,000 years ago. That comes from The Lord's long-suffering. It's the day that souls ought to obey Christ. It's the day that erring Christians ought to come back to Christ. It's the day of salvation. You know, Peter himself, the man that wrote the scriptures that we're considering this this morning, availed himself of that long-suffering many, many times. We know... Of the time that he denied Jesus three times. We know that. And we know of his repentance and his recovery from that. There was also another time in in Galatians 2 and 11. That Paul said that when Peter came to Antioch. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter needed repentance. What was he doing? He, He refused to. To eat with Gentiles. He would only eat with the Jews. Paul said that's not right. All are Christians. All are the children of God. You know what Peter did? He repented. Simple as that. He said you're right. I'm wrong. And I want forgiveness from it. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when you find yourself at odds with the scriptures? When you find yourself in error according to them, do you take advantage of God's long-suffering? Or do you just say, ah, well, I'll I'll grow out of it. I'll get over it. Peter reminds us that we need to take advantage of God's long-suffering. He also reminds us of a struggle that we all have from time to time. Usually it's when our ego gets a little big. We think we know a little more than we really do. Our pride gets puffed up a little bit. And we think that we we know better than even God does. And he says, don't twist the scriptures to your own destruction. That's, That's a pretty bold claim. Don't twist the scriptures to your own destruction. Verse 16 says, As also in all of his epistles, speaking in, term, in them of these things, who is this he? This is Peter referring to Paul again. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest As they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You ever think about doing that? When a mature, diligent Christian comes across a scripture that's hard to be understood. What do they do? Well if you do what you're supposed to do. You take that scripture and you start considering it and you look up other scriptures and other places in the Bible and you come to a conclusion what maybe this hard to be understood scripture means and then you look at other scriptures and you see if, if, that, if that interpretation holds. If it conflicts with another scripture, you've got the wrong interpretation. You're wrong. Go back and consider again. That's what the diligent, knowledgeable, mature Christian does. What does someone who is unlearned and unstable do when they come across a particular scripture that's hard to be understood? They look at it and says, "Well, I think it means this," and they go on. Peter says sometimes they do it to their own destruction. Don't be guilty of twisting the scriptures to mean what you want them to mean. Be guilty of study and again in knowledge for the scriptures to mean what God intended for them to mean. James 1 and 21 says that the scriptures can save our souls. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluous naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Do you want to take a scripture, a saying from God that is able to save your souls, and do you want to twist it to mean something else? Peter says if you do, you do it to your own destruction. Paul said in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He says it's good for us. It's good for reproof. It's good for correction. It's good for instruction in righteousness. And in verse 17, he says that it can make you perfect or complete to the glory of God. That's what it can do. You want to twist that? You want to change that to meet something that in your head makes sense? You know, another fact about the word of God Ephesians 6 and 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The word of God is a sword. You know, a sword is a useful item. It's an offensive item. It can keep us out of trouble. But you know what else it can do? If you're not trained to use it, if you're not knowledgeable in its use, it can do you a lot of harm. You know, I, I was pretty young, but I still remember the time that I was permitted to have my first pocket knife. You know, I was given some instruction with it. When you're, when you're cutting a stick, don't, don't cut back towards you. Make sure you cut away from you. What's the first thing I did? <laughs> Unknowledgeable. Unlearned. And a sharp item could do me a lot of harm. The sword of the Spirit can do you a lot of harm if you're unlearned and unknowledgeable in its use. <clears throat> Don't twist the Scriptures. It can lead to your own destruction. Those most susceptible are those who are all untaught and unstable. Then as we begin to finish this up, <clears throat> in verse 17 and 18... Peter has some summary exhortations that he gives us. In verse 17, he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things. Reminder, you know them. He's reminding us that we know them. Yet therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. A particular worry of Peter's for people that he loved I don't want you to be led away by the error of wicked I don't want you to fall he didn't want that <clears throat> it summarizes verse 17 summarizes nearly everything that Peter talked about in, uh, in chapters 2 and 3 it's a particular concern of his And he doesn't want it to happen to those people. He didn't want it to happen to us today. And neither do I. He's already described many of those that have problems. He described those who were guilty of denying the Lord who bought them. He's described those who have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. He's described those who have escaped the pollutions of the world and are again entangled in them and overcome and then just Recently, he's described those who twist the scriptures to their own description. He's laid it out for you. He's told you what to beware of. He's told you how to avoid these things. So I want to ask you a question this morning, brothers and sisters. What do you think the biggest concern for the church and for Christians today is? You think it's false teachers? Peter said false teachers are not a problem. Be ready for them. Grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be able to identify them. They won't be a problem. Is it scoffers? Do they have a negative effect on your Christianity? Peter said don't worry about scoffers. Expect them. Expect the unexpected and it won't be a problem. You know what the biggest problem for us today is? We get Bored. we get apathetic and we neglect the things that we already know verse 18 grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever amen that's the way Peter closes this book How do you avoid it? How do you avoid all those pitfalls? You grow in grace. You grow in knowledge. You understand what God wants of you and expects of you. That's how Peter closes this epistle. So I ask you this morning, do you desire to join Peter, Paul, the other apostles, many even of our own time, who were laborers in the kingdom of God and spent their time in this life in an effort to live a life that would be pleasing to God. Do you want to spend your eternity with those people? If you do, then the final words of of Peter hold special meaning for you. He wrote them for the people of those days But he wrote them for us today as well. Be diligent to be found in peace without spot and blameless. Remember the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Don't twist the scriptures to your own destruction. Beware lest you fall being led away by the error. Grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you using the long-suffering of the Lord this morning to be diligent, to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord? Have you even begun? Do you need to start this morning? Paul said the day of his time was the day of salvation. So it is today. It's the day of salvation. Heed the words of Peter. In his last gospel song, this is our last scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and 39. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you for the name of Jesus Christ, for their mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call." Heed the words of Peter. Heed the words of the Lord that came from Peter's mouth. Consider this this morning. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.